This is the WKXL Spotlight. And this is a show that I want to make sure I do my very best at because it discusses a problem that uh, I've battled in my own life. Problem gambling. Today, I'm really excited to have a conversation with Ed Talbot, who's co-director of the New Hampshire Council on Problem Gambling. We're going to have some back and forth. Ed, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, the organization and about yourself? Uh, I take care of the administrative uh, and a lot of the recovery support. Uh, It's easy for me to do that because I'm a person in long-term recovery from this addiction. Uh, and I'd like to tell you a little bit about the New Hampshire Council on Problem Gambling. Yes. Initially, it was run in conjunction with the Vermont Council and incorporated in 1996. It's the 501c3 um, organization, uh, nonprofit. In 2010, the National Council on Problem Gambling uh, suggested that each council be operated independently. Uh, and not be run by one person for a couple of states. So a group of us volunteers tried to get the council reorganized again. Unfortunately, um, the nonprofit status had been dropped because of the failure to file an annual report with the um, Internal Revenue Service. Uh, We spent 18 months getting that rectified, and in 2014, we began operations. Uh, kind of a bootstring uh, operation, uh, four or five of us working as the board of directors. Um, I was working part-time uh, to help get the thing organized. And what we tried to do was set up some immediate services, uh, for example, a helpline and directing people to recovery support. Um, this, is back in, Ed, this is back in 2014, officially, when That's- the NHCPG got, got started. That's correct. And that's in a different day and age, really, from where things are nowadays with just the legalization of sports gambling and all over the place. So this is cool for you to take us on a little bit of of history. So go ahead back to 2014. (laughs) (laughs) We existed for quite a few years because um, the state of New Hampshire, which was the first state to have a state lottery, um, was one of the last to provide any funding for problem gambling services. we existed with donations, uh, some support from the New Hampshire Lottery, in-kind services, doing some of our printing, hosting our board meetings, uh, and that went on for three or four years. In 2017, Keno was authorized, and a percentage of the Keno proceeds was to go to problem gambling services. Uh, other than putting out a request for information that we submitted, um, there was never any funding spent at all. In 2019, when sports gambling was approved, uh, rather than directing the money back to the Department of Health and Human Services, uh, they suggested an annual amount of $250,000 be a month for problem gambling services and um, be run administratively in connection with the lottery. Uh, so the lottery put out a proposal for uh, 100,000 because of COVID, they reduced the 250 to 100,000. Uh, we bid on that contract and rewarded the contract for three years. Um, and during that time, uh, COVID also hit. Uh, so it really limited a lot of things that we were able to do. Um, and I'll get into the facts about how uh, gambling has expanded. 
but just as far as development of the council, um, this year we had uh, little or no information on the budget uh, as of May uh, going into this fiscal year. We had money in the budget we felt could support the continuation of these services we were provided. Uh, so we decided to go that way. If state funding does, uh, our state request for funding uh, comes up, we positively would be interested in applying for it. Yeah, uh, there, to interrupt you just for a second, I apologize, but I wanted to make sure that I have things straight in, in my mind here. The, the, when I go on Google and type in New Hampshire and gambling problem, your organization is the very first one that pops up in the search results, the New Hampshire Council on Problem Gambling. And you are here representing the organization. What I'm, what I'm picking up from what, what you're saying is you received the majority of your funding from the state of New Hampshire. Is that correct? That is correct up until this present year. Uh, now we are dependent on uh, what we had left over from uh, the previous years and not spending all the money, uh, plus contributions, donations that people make. We've got some wonderful people, um, institutions that have supported us uh, as well. Um, so we do have funding to get us at least through this year. If something comes up as far as a state proposal, that we positively would be interested. Okay, so yeah. I wanna, we want to jump into the funding people. Make sure we circle back with that, Ed. But while we're on this track, I, my, my other question is, the money that comes out to your organization for funding, the NHCPG, that comes out of the pool of money that the state is taking in on proceeds from things like the lottery, uh, Keno, and sports gambling. So a fraction of the proceeds that the government is taking in, they would in years past be giving out to your organization. Is that kind of... Is that, that, is, that, that, that is correct. Okay. It's probably a good time to mention, too, Jim, that neither the New Hampshire Council on Problem Gambling nor myself, Ed Talbot, uh, take a position for or against legalized gambling. We're neutral on the issue. We understand that 90 to 95% of the population can gamble responsibly. Our attention is focused on those individuals who can't. Interesting. I might challenge that 95 to 98% of the population that can gamble responsibly only because if the numbers show that there's an uptick in the number of folks that are gambling, Ed, I just think that it's a new day and age and it's so easy to get addicted to this stuff. Well, that's the other thing. I mean, compared to when I was gambling, and probably it's a, <laughs> a good if it's a good time, I can go into a little bit of my story um, and how I got hooked on it. Um, because today it is so scary. Uh, it was so much more condensed when I was gambling. Um, at uh, when I was 21 years old, uh, I started going to the racetrack, uh, Greyhound track, with some friends of mine. Um, maybe every two weeks, three weeks, something like that, drink a beer, bet a few races, uh, nothing big. Uh, we developed a following for this one particular dog uh, who was like the Silky Sullivan, always came from <laughs> way in the back and came up flying at the end. Uh, and the dog was entered in uh, the American Greyhound Derby, uh, which was like the Kentucky Derby of Greyhound Racing. We had agreed that we'd bet $100 on this dog to win the race. Uh, the last minute, I chickened out, and I bet 50, <laughs> 50 on it. Okay. Uh, fortunately, the dog had beaten a photo finish, or unfortunately, mm. uh, for my friend. 
but at least I recoup my money. But the thing that stands out to this day, I can still remember the rush that I felt waiting for the race to start, the starting box to open and the dogs to come out. Uh, that rush is what propelled my interest uh, because after that, it just took off. Great story, Ed, because I'm going to tell you, as a lifelong gambler myself, I sat listening to your, your quick story there and was interested all the way through and saying, I understand exactly what he's talking about. It, you, all you need is one thing to get hooked. It can be one team. It can be the Boston Celtics this year, Ed. I continue to tell right. people I think they're going to win the title. You get locked onto that. Your mind just continues to believe it. You convince yourself, and then you say, well, why shouldn't I make some money off of this? And it's just, a, it just, you know, it's like begging for you to have more action because you're saying you believe something is true. Very true. Very, very true. So where do things go from there after that realization? Did it, did it carry you immediately into saying, hey, maybe I shouldn't bet too much? Or where did things go for your life no, after no, that? No, that one there, I mean, it was still, uh, you know, a fancy, nice thing to do. Uh, I like the fact that, you know, I came out ahead. I didn't lose the money. I certainly couldn't afford to lose that money. Um, but I became more and more interested in it. And, uh, you know, eventually, a couple of years later, I... Um, was back in school. I took a job as an orderly in the hospital. Uh, met a nurse, got married. Within a year, we had our only child, my daughter Lisa. Uh, all of a sudden, I had a lot of responsibility on me, and uh, I was teaching in a parochial school. And so, if you know anything about that, you know you have a lot of prayers said for you, but you don't make a lot of money. Um, <laughs> so, I needed to supplement my income. Well, lo and behold, the mutual clerks at the local dog track were on strike, and they were looking for people across the picket line. Find me up. What better place for me to be there than uh, something I really enjoyed? Um, it was open at the time, uh, 90 days a year. Uh, there were two tracks in our area of Massachusetts where I grew up. Uh, so they'd be open six months from April to the end of November. Let's dig each- into that piece right there, Ed. We're going to head to a commercial. I want people to be thinking about this. Hey, it's a, it's a hobby. You start out having fun. Then all of a sudden you get kind of surrounded a little bit more by it. Like Ed mentioned, you, you go and get a work, a job in the field, start to make some money. What do you do with that money once you're in there? Let's hear what Ed did with his money when we come back on this WKXL Spotlight Edition. NHTalkRadio.com is where you can hear us online on the radio airwaves, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in Concord. 101.9 FM in Manchester. We'll be more with this Spotlight Edition with the New Hampshire Council on Problem Gambling. This WKXL Spotlight is off to a great start. We have Ed Talbot from New Hampshire Council on Problem Gambling on the line with us. And he was just telling us about how he was getting a, a second job in the gambling industry back in the day. Way back in the day as uh, he started to, to learn more and more about gambling and the potential building of a, of a problem. So, Ed, why don't you take us back in time and pick things back up when you uh, took on a second job here? Yeah, I had this job and it's... Uh probably understand, you know, when you start working, you start at the, at the lowest denominational windows, and you work your way up and that stuff, and I kind of did progress that way, And um, but at the same time, my gambling was progressing, because it's a very progressive disease. Um, I was betting a little bit more, I was betting more often, 
Um, you know, it was really becoming a big focal point in my life. Um, it started to cause some problems at home that eventually I would address, uh, you know, so at time it was uh, marriage counseling, uh, money was missing, uh, what bills weren't being paid. Um, I had all sorts of excuses for why that happened. But at the same time, I devoted everything, all my interest in that, into my job at the track and became very important to me. And um, fortunately for me, the administration looked fondly on me, and uh, I never asked for promotion there, but I went to the higher windows and that. And then um, two years before I stopped gambling, I was asked if I wanted to go into an administrative position where I was the assistant to the racing secretary, the person that puts the races together, and also serving as a judge at the finish line um, a couple of nights a week. So I said, sure, uh, one condition that job is you don't gamble. Um, you know, I had people betting for me and signals and signs and stuff like that so I could get my action in. Uh, so that continued. You're in and around the racing at that point, right? So you're dealing with people, and they're coming up and say, hey, I like this horse tomorrow or this this horse down the road, so I'm keeping an eye on them. So you're you're always like thinking you're learning insider information at the exactly. time. Exactly. You're in with the, um, all the owners and trainers. Um, I, plus, I researched. I mean, there was a publication that came out of Florida when the dogs were down there in the woods, the Greyhound Racing Record. And I would travel 20 miles to pick up that paper so I could see what <laughs> – was happening with these dogs and study them. How often, uh, Ed, did that, did that paper come out? You're traveling 20, 20 miles, did you say, to go get the paper? How often was that coming out? Every tw- every two weeks. See, this is um, something that the normal listener at home would like, have no concept on. If you're a gambler and you're addicted, you're looking for your information to be like, all right, I'm going to help beat the system. I'm going to drive 20 miles to go and get a paper that's going to help me solve the problem. Right. I, I, I say it all the time. I have thought I had a PhD in Greyhound Racing, and it bought me a seat in recovery. That's all it did. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I knew all sorts of stuff about the dogs, but, you know, <laughs> they're still going to get bumped or, or not, not run right or something. Something's always going to happen. But, you know, in recovery, people talk about hitting their bottom, and I've always said my bottom was probably the year before I actually stopped. Um, my mother was on a deathbed. She had been battling cancer, and she had her three sons and my dad around bedside. And she talked to each one of us individually. And her final words to me were, Ed, if you don't stop your gambling, you're going to lose everything. She passed away the next morning, and I spent the next year of my life proving her absolutely right. Um, You know, eventually I wound up getting thrown out of the house. Uh, I decided, well, you know, this is it. I'll finish gambling at the track where I'm working, and then the nearby track, I'm going to be a professional gambler. I'm going to go over there. Uh, I mean, I went through money. Uh, it started off real good. They did 30 days of afternoon racing and before they switched to night. And in the afternoon, I was doing very, very well. You know, good time, Charlie. Set up the bar at night. You know, um, really having a great, not no uh, response to taking care of my family responsibility. Uh, still married, uh, still married with with a daughter at the time, though, right? That, that's correct. Okay. Yeah, but out of, but out of the house, uh, um, wound up. Uh, Staying with my dad, a widower, uh, you know, sponging off him, too. Um, so uh, that year, they switched over the nights, and my legs just went completely down. And the final night of racing, the Cotton Dog Track, November 30th, 1977, I bet what little money I had left on a dog by the name of Perfect Treasure. Um, the starting box opened, the dogs came out, and Perfect Treasure fell. And uh, 
I felt my dream really been crashing down. Five days later, I contemplated a dive off a bridge um, that would have ended my life. And the only reason I'm talking to you today is I felt I hadn't been much of a dad to my only daughter. And I wanted a chance to change that. And uh, I wound up talking to a priest. He recommended I get to uh, Gamble's Anonymous and see the psychologist. I went to the psychologist and damned if he didn't say the same thing. you got to get to Gamble's Anonymous and I can help you with some of the other things. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so eventually I took that step and I went and uh, probably the best move I've ever made because uh, I walked into the room and I saw three or four guys that I played ball with and went to school with and I saw them from the racetrack and I'm taking an inventory saying you belong, you belong, you belong and I saw some of the stupid bets you guys made you know, thinking like I'm still a genius um, but I sat around and I listened and people said to me um, if you follow the suggestions in this program and don't make a bet, your life will get better. Well, hell, I wanted that because uh, my life was miserable. I mean, if you're thinking about ending it, uh, you know, then it's time to do something. Uh, and it's just been a miracle ride. I've never returned. Um, it was wow. 46 years on November 30th. Uh, absolutely amazing. That's not the normal thing. I keep saying, you know, I'm so blessed. Uh, but the one thing is that promise is delivered 100%. My life is so much better today. Uh, I have a wonderful relationship with my only daughter, who now has uh, two children that uh, I adore, and it's so much fun to be. And it's a whole different opportunity, like. Yeah, um, thank you for sharing your personal story because things like that hit home with folks in the listening audience, whether they have a gambling problem or not. It's important that I mean, listening to you they can put themselves almost in your shoes to feel the hope and despair. What I would tell people, I'm 49 years old. I am a lifelong gambler. I started gambling hardcore when I was about 12 to 13 years old, and I've had my ups and downs through the years. For people that listen to my show, The Sports Machine with Slim, I do a sports talk radio show every day from 10 to 11. I do talk about gambling sometimes on there, but I will tell everybody, I made it my commitment, my New Year's resolution, I will not bet on sports for this year. Here's the, the thing I have quoted at is, gambling is only a problem when you lose. Like, if you're winning all the time, people would say, well, gambling, you know, it's not really a problem. I'm not really sure of that, Ed. When you go and you were taking that 20-mile drive to go and pick up the form, the time you spent doing that was time you could have spent with your family, right? Absolutely, 100% correct. And, and in, in gambling recovery, people say you gamble loses three things. You lose money, for sure. You lose the values you were brought up with, and you lose the time. The money is the easiest part of it to solve. If you were living a gambling-free life, the values come back. I wasn't brought up to be a liar, a cheater, a thief. Um, quite the contrary. <laughs> but I did all those things in order to gamble. But the time you take away, that is my biggest regret today. Uh, my daughter will reassure me all the time. You never need to apologize. Everything is wonderful. I'm so happy. But that's the one thing that remains, you know, that I'm really remorseful over the time that I didn't spend with my family. Because you're a competitor, right? Gamblers right. usually like to compete. And when well, you lose and it's your fault, that sticks with you as a competitor. And when you gamble, there's nobody else to blame. Like you said, you still remember the time you didn't spend with your family. You know you did it wrong, and so that's part of you. It's, it's tough to get over. Positively. You, you know what you just said? The losing part, 
when I was at my wit's end and thought the only way out was to end it, uh, I felt I had been a failure in every facet of my life, as a father, as a husband, as a son, as an employee, as a student, as an athlete, and then finally as a gambler. I mean, I didn't see anything good. And the only way that I had felt private getting out of the mess I was in was to have that big hit. And you get to, that's the final stage. You get to that chasing stage where you can't see how you can get out of the financial mess you're in unless you have that big hit. And, of course, you know that lie is never going to work out. You're never going to have that big hit. Even if you do, you're going to lose it back yet. I mean, we've done this enough times. Even if you have that big win, if you are gambling, a lot of times it's because you want to lose, at least for problem gamblers. Ed. Like you mentioned earlier, Hayden, if it's 95 to 98% of the population can gamble responsibly, fantastic. It's fun. Like Ed, I can tell he, he and I are not here to tell people not to gamble. It's a good time to go out and gamble. But when it takes it to the next level where you're spending too much of your time and your energy and your thoughts about gambling, that's an important sign to be able to spot as, as a potential problem. Right. So, Ed... What advice could you give to somebody? Or maybe we should hold it. I don't know. I, I want to talk to people that are out there listening right now that are doing some gambling here and there, and maybe they're starting to chase things like you mentioned. So as the music comes up, why don't we come back with that? Is I want to talk to the, especially the younger population that I see at the casinos, and they're lining up to bet their money, and my suspicion, Ed, is they're losing. So I want to talk directly to those people when we come back from this commercial break here on uh, – WKXL Radio, this is a spotlight edition with New Hampshire Council on Problem Gambling. Ed Talbot's here. If you have a problem out there or you think you want someone to talk to, 603-724-1605 is the number. We'll give it again when we come back. You're listening on WKXL Radio, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in Concord, 101.9 FM in Manchester, nhtalkradio.com. everyone. Welcome back to a very powerful WKXL Spotlight. Ed Talbot is on the line with us. He's from the New Hampshire Council on Problem Gambling. And as we went to commercial break there, I uh, said, hey, Ed, would you be able to talk to us about the uh, younger generation who I know is, is developing gambling addictions all over the place? We're not seeing numbers, I don't think, yet, because I don't know how many of them have hit rock bottom. But I just want to start out this segment here by saying, you know, in my own life, I was pitching quarters against the sidewalk when I was probably 12 years old, 13 years old with neighborhood kids. Ended up, uh, I remember riding my bicycle with a group of friends. We used to collect baseball cards. Riding down to the baseball card store one day, stopped into the gas station, and I snuck in, and I was all nervous. I had the adrenaline pumping. I wanted to buy a couple of scratch tickets. That I was underage, but they sold them to me back then. This is going back in 1986, 87, so this was before you know there was so much focus on this stuff. Sure, we'll sell the kid the scratch ticket. Well, I remember I hit for 40 bucks on one of them, and man, that day I went for my, I spent my two bucks. I got 40. I, we went over to the baseball card store. We're buying the baseball packs for everybody, and it was a great time. Now I ended up losing all that money back and whatnot, but that's you know, we don't need to hear the rest of that story right now, Ed. I just think so many of the younger generation is developing gambling problems right now. I want to try and do something to help them. It's 
funny that you mentioned that because that, that's something that hit home with me a few years ago. I've got a grandson who's 16 and he watches Sports Center every morning and that stuff. And, uh, nine years ago, he came into his mother and he said, uh, Mom, I want to play fantasy football. I can win a lot of money for our family. And she said, you better talk to Puffer about that. <laughs> and that's the difference in today is the amount of advertising and promotion and, and the ease and this uh, fancy that all you got to do is make a bet and you're going to win. Um, we know that doesn't help. The house always wins. That's for sure. No matter what the venue is, the house is always the win. Uh, so I think it's really dangerous. And there is a uh, legislation is now coming out of Congress uh, being proposed to look at the impact of gambling advertising on the youth. Um, you know, if I just look back to my own uh, sign, you were talking about your gambling and, and getting lottery tickets and that. Um, I stopped gambling the year the Massachusetts started the, their lottery. Um, but I used to play pinball machines. I mean, I was obsessed with that, all about getting a free game. I mean, you didn't get anything out of it. You eventually <laughs> lost the money. It was getting that free game. So that, that probably goes back to it. Um, but I see today uh, the amount of ads I can't get over as a purist on sports. I'm watching the sports on TV at night. Along the bottom is the line. And now on, on the advertising on TV, either DraftKings or ESPN Bet or FanDuel, or somebody's always got an ad. Uh, and it's much more glamorized today. Um, you know, when I was gambling with, like, the bookies and the loan sharks, and uh, 99% males were doing it, no females. I, mean, I go to recovery meetings now, it's 50-50, women and men. Um, you know, it's, so it's certainly been glamorized, uh, especially with the fancy casinos and that. Um, but the, the impact on the youth, I think that is something they really need to pay attention to because uh, they're positively breeding the next round of problem gambling. So let me ask you this, Ed. I sit here and we are in full agreement, you and I, both with hardcore gambling uh, problems from the past or nowadays. For people that don't know, I, I'm down hundreds of thousands of dollars in life from gambling. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. And you know, some people say, oh, you, you shouldn't mention that or say that, but it's like, I, hey, listen, what are you going to do? It is what it is. And uh, uh, thankfully, as I've gotten older, and I myself have been married now for 10 years, and I've learned what's important through time, I still do like to gamble, but I've just been able to control the amount that I bet and realize you don't have to bet more a lot of times to get that same rush. But Ed, as you're talking, and, and we're talking about all the advertising that's everywhere, what's what's resonating with me is earlier you mentioned how like the money that comes to your organization to help people with gambling problems, which we know is a huge problem and growing problem, it just seems like, well, if the folks that are providing the funding to help the problem gamblers are the same people that are actually like encouraging the gambling in the first place, I'm not sure that we're going to be set up for success. Am I wrong to no. question that? <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, actually, I mean, we're one of the beneficiaries of some of that because, of, for example, DraftKings, um, I think three years ago, went into a contract with the NFL. Um, and, and their uh, need to address responsible gambling, um, they donate $15,000 a year for the last three years. This will be the last year of the contract. Every council in the United States gets $15,000 from DraftKings, uh, which is good. But when you consider the amount of money that's coming from DraftKings, uh, or the state of New Hampshire, where you've got 500 and some million dollars coming in on a lottery revenue, 
and you know it, there's a hundred thousand or two hundred fifty thousand dollars for problem gambling services. It's out of whack, um, you know, as far as the, the money being spent. Uh, so the revenue is coming in. Uh, it's funny when Massachusetts was really expanding their gambling. The Boston Globe had a commercial one day with the outline of the uh, state of Massachusetts, and it said. Um, I'm the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, and I'm a compulsive gambler. And what they meant is that there's never enough money for the state, so they're always introducing more gambling venues. I mean, they got a $50 ticket now, a uh, lottery ticket. A scratch uh, ticket. You're telling you, you yeah. can go down, and this um, this is what kind of it, it kind of irks me and irritates me on some level. Ed, as a taxpayer, let's just go on the political side a little bit, right? I'm here knowing how much of an issue gambling is for so many people to the point where, like, you can be on the bottom barrel of life and contemplating even suicide because of the pain that gambling has caused. And I'm a taxpayer working to pay taxes to the government. The government is taking that money on some level and putting on commercials on the air to try to get people to buy scratch tickets. I just kind of feel like they that should not be legal. I mean, and I know I'm, te- uh, I'm going on to your turf, so I will yield to your, your opinion on this, but I just don't see how the lottery should be advertising to people to buy something like a $50 scratch ticket, which we know is not long-term going to be a healthy investment. No, those, those are the things. I mean, the, the types of uh, advertising, that stuff that they do, um, I mean, it's all to sell more tickets, and I understand that they need to do it, and it's uh, in New Hampshire, you know, a certain percentage is going to education, and nobody argues with that. Uh, in Mass, they used to have a, a commercial that said, um, even if you're lost, you're actually winning because right. you're helping Belcher Town buy a fire truck. Well, you know, I'm not going to take a buck out of my pocket and give it to Belcher Town to buy that fire truck, you know, but uh, it's okay, I guess, to do a lot of it. Um, so, I, you know, I, I can't really argue because, like I said in the beginning, we're neutral on it. Uh, all I'm saying is problem gambling services need to be funded. They need to be funded at a greater rate than they're being run. Exactly. Exactly. Um, That's all we're saying. I, I, if it's all right, like to, to jump in and maybe uh, team up a little bit here, Ed, is there needs to be more resource availability for people and not just like, oh, I'm going to go online and Google and search and then I can find New Hampshire Council on Problem Gambling. It needs to be more in your face almost like, hey, here's the warning signs. And and I know you get these gambling uh, sites that at the end of their commercials put, well, for help you can call, and they write, and it's at the end of one, every one of these ads so they can say, well, we, you know, we told people, but come on, that's not the point of that commercial. Why can't we make our own separate commercials? Something like this, Ed. That's why I'm glad and thankful to you for doing this WKXL Spotlight with me. It's funny you mentioned that the... Uh Commercials and the, and the fine print um, the <laughs> R number is displayed on one of those rewards, and uh, and you can't believe how many calls I get. People wanting to know something about their reward card or the casino. Uh, Easter Sunday, I got called to find out if the casino was open because it says problem. So they're thinking only problem. It doesn't say problem. They're not reading problem gambling. I mean, sometimes they'll say, "Oh, well, I might be calling you next," you know, but. <laughs> It's because they see that little fine print that says problem. Well, that has, they have the answer to my rewards card or my payment at the casino, whatever it is. 
So if they call you, Ed, on that with that call, and they're like, hey, I'm having a problem with this, and you say, oh, no, no, I'm here for, for gambling recovery issues or something, what do they do? They just hang up on you? Most of the time they hang up. And a couple of times they've made, they made the joke of saying, you know, I'll probably be calling you next. Uh, <laughs> this is the thing about about gamblers is we have we have good personalities and sarcastic sense of humor, so we yep. we can put ourselves in the in the shoes of these individuals who are like, oh, I'll probably be calling you in a couple of days. <laughs> or, or I get calls from drafting people uh, looking to close their account or do something with their account. And I said, this is not drafting. Uh, you know, I know they put a number on for help or refer. But, um, you know, I don't know where they're getting it, but they're calling. So we try to provide them with a, a customer service number for drafting so they can address. Um, we, we'll be glad to help somebody if they want to self-exclude from whether it's the lottery or DraftKings or something like that. Give them advice how to do it. Uh, but as far as uh, interaction with it, we, <laughs> we don't get involved. Well, Ed, we're going to have more to cover. And if it's all right, I would like to talk with you about maybe some phone calls that you've come through that were from people with gambling problems and they successfully connected with you. Just for people that that are out there, 603-724-1605 is that number to call. New Hampshire Council on Problem Gambling. You're listening here on the WKXL Spotlight with Ed Talbot. 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in Concord, 101.9 FM in Manchester, nhtalkradio.com. We'll be right back with more with Ed. As we come down the home stretch of this WKXL spotlight with the New Hampshire Council on Problem Gambling, Ed Talbot, I would just like people to know one thing about me individually. As I mentioned, I'm down hundreds of thousands for life gambling. When I have quit in the past two years in my life, two single years, I quit gambling and said, I'm not going to gamble the entire year. Those two years were the years in my life when I made the most money at work. I'm in a commission-based organization. I have been as a professional recruiter through my life, and I made more money in those two years than I did any of the other years when I was gambling. Had nothing to do with the betting. It was the time, the focus, and the commitment. It's tough to do. It is tough to say, I'm going to quit. Ed Talbot is on the line. Ed, you field calls from people on a day-to-day basis who are struggling with gambling addictions, right? Want to talk to us about some of the calls maybe that you've received through time? Yeah, most of the time, the, the best thing is there's somebody on the line that understands the problem. Uh, I've been there. I know what it's like. Um, I remember going to my first uh, Gamble's Anonymous meeting and thinking like I was the only person that had done the things I had done in order to gamble. And I went to the meeting, and that night I heard things I hadn't even thought about doing that I could have done. Uh, you know, it just shows you, but I realized I wasn't alone, and that's the big, most important thing. Um, one of the things, one meeting that stands out in uh, New Hampshire especially is there's a Tuesday night meeting in Manchester. It's held at the uh, Hope for New Hampshire Recovery uh, on Wilson Street, and it's a hybrid meeting. Uh, it's in person as well as online on Zoom. And I, a lot of times I'll tell someone, I know you're probably not interested in Gamble's Anonymous, but tune this in. 
You don't have to talk. You don't have to put the camera on. Just listen. And most of the time, people will identify with somebody there that they've had this similar problem. And they realize that there's hope. The light can get better. Uh, you know, how do you know you have a problem? Uh, there are screening tools that we have for problem, uh, problem gambling. A lot of substance abuse clinicians can help detect that. Um, but I would point anybody to our website uh, for some of the great tools. But just three brief questions, and this is called a BBGS, the Free Biosocial Gambling Scheme. One, during the past 12 months, have you ever been restless, terrible, anxious when trying to stop or cut down gambling? Two, during the past 12 months, have you tried to keep your family or friends from knowing how much you gamble? And three, during the past 12 months, did you have such financial trouble as a result of your gambling that you had to get help with living expenses from family, friends, or welfare? Those three questions, they're on our website. Uh, a yes to any one of those should be explored further for uh, an addiction. Somebody, somebody out there in the listening audience said, here's you saying, okay, so in the last 12 months, have I ever, ever been uh, nervous about not gambling? Have I had to borrow money from somebody else? Or, uh, you know, w- w- okay, in the last 12 months, yeah, I've had those feelings, but today I feel strong. I'm, I, I, I won some money betting this weekend, and, and Ed, I feel like you did when I came in, or when you came into that Gamblers Anonymous meeting or recovery meeting you mentioned where, ah, I don't know if I belong here, I'm, I, I, feel, I feel okay. The reason why you want to listen to those questions Ed just, just mentioned and, and have an answer and be ready to face the answer is because... The downside of not facing the answer to those questions can lead into a spiral where you're at the bottom of the barrel. Like I mentioned, the suicide rates within the gambling world are just off the charts, Ed. I don't think people have any clue about that side of this. That's a very interesting point, Jim. Uh, Previously, we had always said the common denominator was 5%. uh, The rate is 5% higher for a problem gamma than any other addiction. Recent study came out of Australia saying the rate of suicide from problem gambling is probably 10 to 15 percent higher than any other addiction. Um, and it's funny because a lot of times people will say, well, gambling isn't as bad as drugs or it isn't as bad as alcohol. Well, if the suicide rate is 5 percent higher, <laughs> obviously <laughs> it can be quite destructive. Um, so, uh, and the other thing is people mistakenly think it's it's like these other addictions. There are a lot of similarities. Lying, increased tolerance, all those things go with gambling like they do with alcohol and drugs. But you wouldn't smoke another joint or drink another beer and figure that's going to solve all your problems. But the gambler thinks the next bet he makes is going to be the big hit that will take care of everything. And you keep chasing that dream over and over again, and it never happens. With gambling, it's easy to keep it a secret. With with alcohol, I think a lot of times, Ed, people will go out and, they, I mean, they want to go to the bar. They want to be amongst other people. And they're right. drinking, oh, but it's like, hey, I just want to loosen up and, and have a good time. With drugs, you're going to buy the drugs from somewhere. You're, you're interacting with some people on some level, and uh, you know maybe you're out and about with people afterwards. With gambling nowadays, you do not have to leave your living room. This is a seven-day-a-week, 24-hour-a-day type of, of gambling potential addiction where the action rush you get from betting on um, Russian table tennis players at 2 in the morning is the same as if you're betting on today's NFL games. Like, if you want the rush and you need the action, 
It's there for you all the time. You don't have to talk to anybody else. And therefore, you don't have to justify your actions to anybody else. Very true. And the other thing you just alluded to, today it's so much easier with plastic. I had to have cash to put through that racetrack window. Today, you get your credit card, you get your phone, you get your banking all right there. And it's way too easy to access money. I say it all the time to my friends in, in college, Ed. We would play cards all the way through the night. Like We would play AC Ducey where the pots would get to thousands of dollars as college kids. I mean, we worked yeah. 20 to 30 hours a week, but uh, you know, maybe making three, dollars $400, something like that a week as college yeah. kids. We could get money from other sources, and we were just throwing it all in, betting all the time. We'd stay up all night, go to class at 8 in the morning, and having not slept at all because we were playing 45s a card game all the way through. But we at least had to take the time to go and like gamble and walk to see each other and hang out. Nowadays, you don't have to do any of it. It's so right there. That's why I'm so worried about this younger generation and their addiction and how they're going to deal with it. Right. Very true. It's so prevalent. I mean, now it's a big thing to go to a park with the Mohegan Sun after a prom. I mean, <laughs> that's a big attraction. We laugh, and it sounds like, hey, how are you guys talking about such a serious topic? But we're laughing because we know how the mind of a gambler works. Like, you always, you just wake up and you go to work the next day. That's how, for, they, they've, I've been told through years, and just so you know, Ed, with my history, when I was in my late teens to 20s, I would gamble through a bookie. And there were maybe three or four times where I lost so much money to the bookie that I had to go on like a payment plan. I didn't have enough to pay them. And it would just be like, well, all right, I'm, I'm going to pay the bookie back. And I was told, you know, the reason why gamblers pay back is not because they were afraid of getting hurt, like beaten up by the bookie or something like that. It was out of fear for not being able to bet anymore. Very true. Have you heard that Very same t- expression or what? Positively. You know, and the, the crazy things like you were saying, I was working in outside sales for a lot of the time I was gambling, and my territory was down in Cape Cod. I had it figured out. I could go into the office at 8 o'clock in the morning, get out of the office by 8.30, get down to my territory, by, and stay till 11 o'clock, and then leave at 11 o'clock and either be at Seabrook for a dog track or Suffolk Downs for the racetrack, bet five races, and get back to the office. I mean, you could never do that today in the traffic. But I would think that that was normal, a normal thing to do. It's absolutely crazy. That's how it takes over the mind. Nobody. This is the type of stuff that nobody's talking about, and, and, and we're here now trying. To, uh, right. That's all we can do. We're not saying don't bet. We're just saying if your your problem gets to the point where you're thinking about this all the time and how you're gonna drive to in between appointments to get this fix in, like you gotta you, you gotta stop yourself somewhere before before it gets too late. Or if you're lying about, it. I mean, I I've got a friend that I, I got into running and I did an awful lot of running and that was a great help in, in getting me um, through my addiction and getting on the road to recovery. But I have a person that asks me every once in a while, knows my background and all that stuff. So I said, well, what do you say when you go and get like, Oh, I just you know say I'm going shopping. I said, why can't you just say you want to go to the casino? <laughs> you know, why are you covering for it? You know, that, that's a typical sign. The increased tolerance is uh, betting more is. And the reason, why, yeah, the reason why they're lying is because they had already been gambling too many times, and they were sure. afraid to say, hey, I'm going gambling again. Right. And so start one, you got to be proud of yourself. This is what I talked about with the money-making thing for me in my own life. You want to live a life 
that you're proud of because that helps good things to happen. If you're living a life that you're ashamed of, that's not usually the best situation. <laughs> Positively. So as we wrap things up, Ed, what do you want to talk about? Or I mean, we definitely should help uh, people be able to find you online. And if there's any parting messages you want to deliver to the people. Um, our website, uh, nafelongambling.org, uh, positively has all sorts of sources of information to help. Uh, a lot of resources. NH, nhproblemgambling.org. Dot. And the helpline, 603-724-1605. Right, Ed? That's it. Thank you so much for taking the time to help spread the word as much as we can. You're doing your part. I'm trying to do my little part here, too. This has been a WKXL Spotlight, nhtalkradio.com. It's 14.50 a.m., 105.9 FM in Concord, 101.9 FM in Manchester, WKXL Radio. We'll be back with more good Spotlight editions in the future.